0: This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at QuickenLoans.com/fool. It's Wednesday, July 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Jason Moser. And Alex Scherer. Alex, thank you for driving down from the Commonwealth. Of I made it industry. safely. <laughs> you made it safely. Keep my hands on the wheel. That's good. <laughs> we want we want all drivers to keep their hands on the wheel when they're driving. Uh, we are going to dip into the full mailbag today. We are going to talk about a deal in the energy industry. Let's start, however, uh, with the retail industry, and we'll we'll look out as we kick off earnings season. But let's start with the results from Prime Day. And I, I feel like I've seen this movie before, Jason. The the, a lot of the what you heard in the media from the media over the past twenty four hours was about the snafus. That Amazon was having last year, it was not so much technical snafus. It was more about how uh, you were promoting this deal, and then this item was sold out, and and some of the sort of odd items that they were selling. This year, there actually were technical problems. There were people who were going on Twitter and, and Facebook and other places talking about how they were trying to buy stuff and they were having checkout problems. Amazon issued a statement saying they were aware of them, they were working on them. So again, the the media narrative is uh, we're not sure how this is going to go, and now the results are out and. Uh, it looks like another really great day. Yeah, clearly they're onto something very big here, and I think
1: the so probably the real question, the one we we probably all want the answer to, we're probably not going to get the answer is um, how many how many new Prime members did they get from this? Because I think ultimately that's that's really the goal here is create awareness, sell a lot of stuff, and ultimately just continue to grow that Prime member base because that really is what uh, keeps the business model working for Amazon. Uh, I mean, what it was a couple of days ago? I guess I, I, I sort of I made the argument. I mean, really, and Alex, I don't know how you feel, how you feel about this, but like from it, from an Amazon loyalist's perspective, I mean, we've been using Amazon for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's integrated into our family's business model more or less. Mm-hmm. I mean, for us, it's isn't every day really Prime Day. It really I mean, is. Yeah,
2: I charted my I charted my personal purchase history <laughs> back to 1998, <laughs> which by the way, Amazon has. Everything, yeah, and there, and that it's in that deep archiving, you can access it. And there was just a serious hockey stick of my purchases since becoming a Prime member, uh, and you know you got to think that that's true for everybody, and it is critical, obviously critical, critical to Amazon's business model. And you know the dollar sales growth uh, from Amazon Prime Day is a is a number that's you know fun to. Uh, to try and uh, key in on, but as Jason said, it's really going to be the Prime member number growth and the advertising and goodwill that comes out of something like Prime Day is you know uh, is really critical for that.
0: And the statement that Amazon issued included you know percentages, well, orders in the U.S. up more than fifty percent, uh, international up more than sixty percent. It also included what is easily the I think it's the understatement of the month uh, from Greg Greeley, who is the VP of Amazon Prime. And this was in their press release uh, announcing the results. And Greg Greeley says after yesterday's results, We'll definitely be doing this again. <laughs> was that even on the table that they wouldn't do this again? I mean, after last year, what, uh, d-
2: well, they're a test and learn type of company, right? So if the results were uh, lackluster, then yeah,
0: absolutely. Why not? Are you serious? Yes. You really think if there was there was some well, significant problem yesterday, they would say, you know what, we're not doing this? Oh no,
2: thing. not if it was a one you know not if it was a one time issue that they sort of discovered and said, oh well, this is a glitch, and therefore we're not going to repeat. No, certainly not. But if but if results were lackluster, the the if the press coverage wasn't there, if the new member signups weren't there. Uh, yeah, sure, they would absolutely. You know, it's not like the Fire Phone is still around, is it? I mean, no, they, but I, they're, I, they're think, happy. They're happy to pull something off the shelf. And it's I, I think selling.
1: with the Fire Phone, we also look at something like that and, re- and recognize that we all probably could have guessed from the very beginning that Fire Phone was not going to succeed. But I don't think that was necessarily the point with that product as much as it was. The technology that went into the Fire Phone in ways that they can leverage that technology uh, beyond just that one little device, and so that's what Amazon's really good at is not only as Alex mentioned testing and learning, but then being able to leverage technology in, in different fashions. Because ultimately, you know what they are doing now when it comes to the technology. I mean, ten years ago, we really wouldn't have thought about Amazon as a device company, would we? I mean, it, it had the Kindle. But I mean today it is. Which I just bought fledged. on Prime Day. I did too. I bought a new paper <laughs> My wife looked at me when I told her when we got him, she's like, Yeah, I knew you were gonna do that. And I was like, How could I not? I mean I'm saving thirty. Did you purchase
2: it through Alexa? Uh
1: no, I didn't. But oh, I have I made that. extra ten bucks. I've off. made purchases through Alexa and it's it's very fun to do. I'm always a little bit nervous that she's gonna get the order wrong, but I also like asking Alexa where my order is because then she'll give you the updated uh, tracking as to what's going on. But um going back to the device narrative here i mean when you look at the number of devices they are selling now and, and the pace at which they're moving and developing the echo mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing to think about but i mean really amazon is at the forefront of the connected home movement here and you look at companies like google and apple now i think they're really trying to catch up in the the more time that passes by here the more difficult it's going to be for those behemoths to really uh gain, I think, a lot of credibility with consumers who who have become very used to using Amazon devices, because you can use those devices to kind of live your everyday life. And I think that with Prime Day, for the people who are looking at Prime Day and thinking, well, I can get lower prices somewhere else, that may be. Uh, But I think that folks who are looking at at Amazon as just being the low-cost provider are really missing the point entirely. Because with Amazon, it's not just about low prices, but it's about convenience, it's about customer service and and i think the question maybe 10 years ago with e-commerce was that consumers weren't going to be willing to wait to have something delivered to them, and they felt like the, the, the customer service experience was going to be difficult, especially if they return something or something like that, mm-hmm. I think Amazon has blown both of those notions completely out of the water, which is why uh, this Prime Day has been so successful, and I expect more of them to come.
2: So, for me, the key takeaway here is not whether it was 30% growth or 40% growth or 50% growth, it's just one more nail in the coffin for the offline retail channel, uh, and just one more demonstration of how habit-forming Amazon Prime Membership is for the uh, for the consumer, and what that means is, uh, you know it's no surprise that it's no surprise to anyone in the world that Amazon uh, is a you know is going to continue to be a major uh, growth driver for uh, US and global uh, retail sales, but it just is one more example of how careful you need to be when you're trying to invest in the offline uh, retail space.
0: So this week we officially kicked off earnings season. a lot of companies obviously still to report. You think back to last earnings season, one of the big narratives out of that was just how challenged general retail Mm -hmm. was. We saw some niche retailers uh, having varying degrees of success. Any reason to think that this quarter is going to be slightly brighter for the general retailers?
2: Uh, Well, I think it was was so dismal last quarter that that there is a sort of expectation of a little bit of a bounce back, but what we're looking at here, you know, and the, the more you focus on Amazon, the more you see it is that, you know, uh, U.S. retail sales it, we're seeing a, a moderate amount of growth, but basically, a hundred percent of that growth is uh, being accounted for by the progress that Amazon's making on its top line, and so it's you know it's a it's a real struggle, it's real lackluster. Um, uh, for the offline retail space, but I don't think that's because the consumer is doing poorly, uh, but I, I think it's it's just you know, again, one more example of of Amazon kind of taking it over.
1: I think also, uh, if you look at the the little pockets where retailers other than Amazon are witnessing success, I mean, you have to look at companies like Nike and Under Armour as clearly winners in developing their own direct-to-consumer, Spaces. I mean, that's not just e-commerce, it's their own stores. We've seen the threat that uh, them building out their direct-to-consumer operations has posed to to companies like uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, for example. So there's a great example of a physical retailer that I think is really uh, between a rock and a hard place because they sell about 35% of the stuff that that Dick's carries in inventory uh, is Under Armour and Nike stuff. And so the the better those direct-to-consumer operations become, the more of a threat it becomes to uh, companies like Dick's Sporting Goods, for example. So there are pockets there, but again. That's very dependent on brand power and also the specific nature of the market they pursue. And I think athletic apparel and equipment is uh, is a uh, specific enough market where they can continue to uh,
0: win. All right, let's move on to the energy industry. Uh, Kinder Morgan and Southern have agreed to a natural gas pipeline venture. Kinder Morgan is selling a fifty percent stake to Southern for the tidy sum of. just shy of $1.5 billion. Uh, This looks on the surface like a slightly better deal for Kinder Morgan shareholders, certainly if you look at how the two stocks have reacted. Uh, there's not a huge divergence, but there's it's definitely looking like a better deal for Kinder Morgan. I think this is a deal that actually benefits both companies
2: and both companies' shareholders uh, really well. Uh, the pipeline that they uh, that they that Kinder Morgan sold half of and then created a joint venture to to, to manage uh, together to Southern Company is is uh, one of the largest uh, natural gas uh, assets in the southern United States. And Southern Company uh, Southern Company utility uh, glo- uh, an integrated utility. Down there is the largest customer uh, to that uh, asset. So the fact that the customer now has a, a substantial, sort of you know 50% ownership stake bodes well for um, the stability of the earnings of that, because they now have a, a vested interest in, uh, obviously as an owner and not just a consumer of being a part of uh, a part of that business. But really, what it comes down to for the Kinder Morgan shareholder is not that they got one over on Southern Company and got a fantastic deal. They didn't. It was a it was a modest multiple. 10.5 times uh, EBITDA earnings before interest taxes, amer- uh, amortization and debt. Um Depreciation. Uh, that's not a particularly rich price, and so you know Southern Company um, didn't really suffer for having made that purchase. But uh, for Kinder Morgan shareholders, this is really all about the balance sheet. They they had uh, a, a growing debt problem uh, last year into the energy crisis. Their earnings profile didn't really move that much, but they made a series of moves where debt just grew and grew and grew on the balance sheet, and eventually the ratings agencies came calling and said. This isn't going to work for us, and what it, what it resulted in was Kinder Morgan slashing their dividend by 75% uh, to try and refocus on paying down debt, getting a little bit of growth in earnings, rather than distributing all that cash to shareholders. That absolutely clobbered the stock. It was it was, in my opinion, absolutely the right move. I'm a Kinder Morgan shareholder uh, coming out of that uh, decision having been made, uh, but uh, this this, as well as other pipeline sales that Kinder Morgan has uh, had over uh, recent months, uh, really is focused on getting that debt load down so that they can uh, start to refocus on maybe incrementally
0: raising the dividend. And I think this is going to put them uh, in the right spot to do that. I was going to say, Jason, I think the last time we talked about Kinder Morgan on this show, it was that they had cut their dividend by seventy-five <laughs> yeah, sure, percent. So, got a couple of questions so, on that one. So, I? among <laughs> other things, this is uh, a, a welcome bit of good news for Kinder Morgan and for shareholders.
1: Sure thing. I mean, Kinder Morgan is sort of that toll booth style of business. It's really attractive from the perspective of an income investor because it was. Able to really provide sort of a reliable income stream in the form of dividends, uh, whereas the story was was more focused on the income and probably less focused on the potential there for capital gains in the actual share price. It's not to say we won't take the capital gains either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll take both, uh, but but I think that given the the trouble that the energy industry has seen over the past uh, couple of years. Along with Kinder Morgan's balance sheet and uh, cutting that dividend, that was sort of the trifecta that really pummeled the stock. I think this is a great step in the right direction. I think Alex is exactly right. Uh, they they want to get back to uh, doing what they do best and making sure that they can instill confidence in their investor base that they are going to be uh, a source for reliable income. I know they hated cutting that dividend at the time they did it. But it, no question was the right move, especially given the nature of the the industry at that point. So uh, it's nice to have assets that other people want, right? You don't have to go uh, commanding any 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 real premium. You're you're selling something that, that someone else wants. It's it's a win-win for both parties involved, and I think for Kinder Morgan shareholders, and and I'm not one, but but I think this is a real win for them, and I think it gets gets uh, that company back to uh, being that steady dividend player that it, that it really wants to be.
0: Last question on Kinder Morgan, Alex. You look at over the past year. This is a stock that's basically been cut in half mm-hmm. from a valuation standpoint. Do you do you like where this company is right now, or do you? Do I do.
2: You, I think it's got a lot of uh, it's got a lot of promise as a sort of stable, moderate growth company as it reinvests a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of their cash flow because of uh, the dividend cut, but it also, at the same time, has opportunity to pay down debt and maybe start incrementally raising that dividend, which is at a two and a half percent yield right now, uh, which is nothing to sneeze at in our you know negative interest rate world. Uh, but two and a half percent is not a stock that income investors uh, would you know seek out to you know saying wow. But this is two and a half percent that is basically back on track now to be a moderately growing dividend as well as a moderately growing. Uh, earnings or distributable cash flow uh, profile. So, yeah, it's it's a company that I own and I'm very happy to own.
0: Alright, guys, before we dip into the full mailbag, I want to say a word about Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. If you've ever bought a home, you already know how frustrating and time-consuming getting a mortgage can be. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century by taking all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your own financial situation. And the thing is, you can do it all on your phone or tablet. So, if you're looking to refinance your mortgage, Or if you're someone who's buying a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. MarketFoolery at Fool.com is our email address from Kakoa Davidson in Bellingham, Washington. I just purchased the Vanguard Energy ETF. Other than oil prices and net asset value, what ways can we monitor the performance of the companies in ETFs? Yeah, that's that's always a little bit of the challenge, it isn't is. it, with yeah. an ETF? So like for, uh... for for all of the the pros <laughs> of the ETF, not quite the level of transparency that you get with individual stocks.
2: Uh, No, but almost, almost as transparent because it's not a it's not a closed-end fund where you don't have a view to what's going on inside the ETF. Uh, If any owner of the Vanguard Energy ETF is interested in understanding what it is they own, it's very simple to go to the Vanguard website uh, or or, a Google search and you know look up Vanguard VDE Holdings. And what you'll find out is very easy to find a list of the top ten holdings. Uh, And in this case, uh, let me take a, a quick step back. When you buy an ETF. Uh, what the objective is is to own a wide swath of either an entire market or an entire industry in the case of the uh, VDE ETF is the uh, energy industry and furthermore it's the largest companies inside of the energy industry and so when you own this company going to the Vanguard website and looking up the top 10 holdings what you'll find is ExxonMobil and Chevron are the two top holdings and together uh, they are a massive it's actually a very concentrated uh, piece of of uh, uh, piece of the total pie, um, the oh gosh, hold on, let me look up the weightings. Yeah, it was 22% of the fund is made up of Exxon Mobil stock, and another 13% is made up of Chevron stock. So this is 35% of what you bought are two companies. So you're actually not getting quite the diversification that you might think I was just you would be. Say. Uh, uh you know, but but it is easy enough to see and following each of the constituent holdings, you don't need to follow a thousand different holdings. If your ETF has 1000 stocks, you really just need to, you know, look at the uh, the top 10, for instance, and in this in this instance, 62% of the holdings is in is in 10 companies. And so, you know, what you're buying is exposure to basically the very largest of the largest integrated oil companies in the United States. Stability uh, well, we don't know about stability. <laughs> yeah, this is an energy ETF. Right, sli- sli- uh, slightly more stability. <laughs> Absolutely more stability than the you know you're not yeah you're not wildcatting or, or yeah. buying uh, you know debt laden uh, Canadian energy or or anything like that. You're buying Exxon, Chevron, Schlumberger, Occidental, and on down the line. So these are going to be the largest players. But this is also an industry where there's been a uh, a pretty uh, pretty wide. Uh, move where the sort of lower quality energy companies have really just gotten absolutely clobbered uh, while the exxons and Chevron's have uh, have not had the massive kind of sell-off so this is not a deep value kind of buy this is yeah definitely a more defensive purchase for anybody interested in owning the energy sector
1: yeah I think a couple of points that he that, that Alex makes here is, is knowing knowing what I mean you go into an ETF and the, the basic objective is they're knowing that you're going to be getting sort of a broader diversity exposure to whatever market you're pursuing but it's also worth knowing what you own. I mean, you don't have to get maybe as granular as, as assessing the performance of every company in the ETF, for example. But you look at whatever ETF you may be considering, and looking at the heavy hitters in that fund, right? The, the the big holdings in that fund can at least give you an idea of of what what companies you have the most exposure to. Then you can certainly dig down a little bit more to understand how those companies are performing. Um, but I think, generally speaking, the nature of the ETF is so that you don't have to necessarily dig in so much, you can feel a little bit better about sort of the broader diversification.
0: Alex Scherer, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. a well, lot, Chris. You. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against it. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market 40. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.